to the latest in a series of podcasts brought to you by the Leaders Performance Institute and our partners Conduct. My name is John Porch, the editor here at the Leaders Performance Institute, and, as always, I'm your host for this episode. This is the third episode of the Conduct Athlete Management Series podcast, which aims to bring you human performance experts from across the world discussing best practice, the role of performance data, and what the future of athlete intelligence management systems might look like. In episode one, we brought you Kevin Forbes, the Enterprise Product Manager of Conduct, who discussed how the organization is using data to help make elite athletes faster, stronger, and healthier. Episode two introduced Brandon McDaniel, the head of strength and conditioning at the Los Angeles Dodgers baseball team. Brandon spoke at length about the evolution of athlete management systems in Major League Baseball. Both episodes were brilliant, so I implore you to go back and check those out, if you haven't already. But maybe it's those conversations that brought you here for episode 3. This time around I spoke to Josh Walker, who is the co-founder and president of the Sports Innovation Lab. Josh taught me through the proliferation of data below pro level in the academies of European sports, as well as the high schools and colleges of North American sport and beyond. It was a real pleasure to sit down with Josh earlier this month, and the Sports Innovation Lab, who work closely with Conduct, are at the forefront of athlete monitoring technology as well as software that matters beyond the performance sphere. They are always good value for an interview, and Josh is but the third co-founder of the Sports Innovation Lab I've had the pleasure of sitting down with, following my chats with Angela Ruggiero, who doubles up as their CEO, and who won Hockey Gold with Team USA at the Nagano Winter Olympics in 1998, and Isaiah Kasevensky, the former Seahawks and Rams linebacker, who also serves as the lab's managing director. Both contributed to an article that offered a series of sports tech developments to look out for back in 2017, and their takes at the time proved prescient. Check out that article and our full archive of performance insight by becoming a member of the Leaders Performance Institute today by inquiring at leadersinsport.com forward slash performance. But back to today's show. Josh really brought home the idea that Moneyball is not just for the pros anymore and also highlighted the shortcomings and the imprecision of people who are far too willing to throw that term around in the first place. In addition, we delved into data's role in the specialisation of performance disciplines such as strength and conditioning, nutrition, medicine, and the challenge of bringing sports tech to new leagues. We also learned that Angela wishes she had greater access to data resources in her playing days, and that the NBA is not averse to taking a risk when it comes to data. Anyway, I don't want to spoil it all, so here is Josh Walker and the latest episode of the Kinduct Athlete Management Series. Josh Walker, hello and welcome to the Kinduct Athlete Management Series podcast. Well, thank you for having me. Well, it's great to have you on the show. And perhaps we could begin by reflecting on why Moneyball, that dreaded casual term, is not just for the pros anymore. Yeah, I, I, I think that um, when you... When you hear the term Moneyball, it's been around, obviously, for a while. And uh, the movie and the book made it a very popular uh, saying across pro and college sports. And It's really become a way for people to almost talk about data and analytics and statistical modeling uh, without using all the nerdy terms. And I know that professionals in sports really don't like the term Moneyball because it's become almost like a catch-all for everything that they do with data. Uh, so I think to start with, you know, we have to talk about what Moneyball really is um, to the sports industry. And I think in the sports industry, the the proliferation of data, whether it's fan data, whether it's player data, 
or whether it's media data, it's starting to get treated much and much more like a business. And so what we see happening, not only in the pros, but in college and youth sports as well, is that data as a way to identify talent, as a way to engage with the fluid fan, the type of fan that moves from one type of entertainment to another, is really becoming much and much more important. So with some of that in mind then, what exactly has enabled the spread of data and technology beyond the pro ranks and into youth and college sport? Is it a question of culture, ease of use? What do you pinpoint, Josh, in your assessment? I think it's all of those things, right? Um, the, the concept of the next generation fan is overused because most people try to say, oh, it's Gen X, it's Gen Y, it's all these terms that are really too generic to really describe what's happening with fans and their use of technology. Sports tech is getting uh, to be more prolific at the youth and college level because those young athletes are using wearable technology. They're looking at their data on social platforms. They're creating their own highlights and films. And that concept of, you know, we're gonna actually look at our own performance. We're gonna use quantitative analysis to figure out how we're doing. We're gonna measure our nutrition, our blood, you know, our blood and our heart rate variability. I mean, this is stuff that, you know, nobody ever did unless they were at the pro ranks before. Um, so it's really cool now that you can democratize the access to this data that a young athlete can actually look at, you know, their nutrition and their hydration and their sleep and the quality of their sleep, the duration of their sleep. As all that data becomes more and more important, um, it expands obviously well beyond the pro ranks. It sounds like that could also apply to young athletes going through talent pathways. Does that make it easier then for coaches and those tasked with the development of young athletes in academies or perhaps even high school or college? I think that's a really interesting question given your, you know, location in Europe and, and our, you know, North American sports culture. It's, it's very different, right? The way you cultivate talent, um, sign talent, monetize that talent over the duration of their careers. Um, what I think is, is probably more universal than um, geographic is the idea that uh, this data is actually helping the specialization when it comes to developing talent. And what I mean by that is you get strength and conditioning coaches that can look at certain data to create workout routines and really isolate a weakness that an athlete has at a, at a young age. And I think that this can obviously be taken too far to extremes where you overdevelop these young athletes and and do things that are detrimental. But I also think it's probably a lot more helpful now to have that data to understand what the limitations of that athlete's training are. Um, my CEO and partner in the Sports Innovation Lab, Angela Ruggiero, said that when she was training for the Olympics, one of the things that she really wished she knew was that there was this concept of overtraining. Uh, because in her career, and even today, there's still this mentality among athletes that if you go hard, um, you're doing the best you can do. And sometimes that's actually not true. And a lot of the data now collected by companies that organize athlete data really show that there are times of peak performance where you should be resting and recovering. And um, I think there's a greater understanding now that that specialization needs to be across strength and conditioning, nutrition coaching, player performance, all those different roles that teams have to develop their talent. That specialization can become quite technical quite quickly. 
So how do you feel then that sports tech can be configured to speak to the athlete, as it were, on a level that they can engage with and understand, so that their data becomes almost intuitive? Yeah, well, I think that brings us to some of the technology providers in this space. Um, you know, we work very closely with companies like Whoop and Kinduct and Garmin and some of the different types of providers that create wearable technology. The, the, the earlier version of the sports tech market was all about just collecting the data. Um, what you see now is true innovation around visualizing that data the mobile apps, the you know dashboards, the types of visualization that gamify the player uh, use of that data and the player's understanding of that data. So it's no longer looking at you know all these scatter plots and data charts that are really hard for somebody who doesn't understand analytics to really get their head wrapped around. You're seeing very simple red, green, you know, yellow sort of modals to kind of really figure out what you should be doing and why. And does that also come into play when it comes to educating and informing coaches and staff around the use of such technology? I really haven't figured out what gets coaching staffs excited. Um, there's definitely, when you go from one program to another, and even at the pro ranks, um, there's just people that have gotten this religion, and it comes back to this concept of money ball. Um, there's some people that have gotten religion around technology and data. And there's some people that still feel like their gut makes the best decision. Um, and it's really kind of crazy that sports still feels that way. But, you know, investors do the same thing. Investors have all this data at their disposal, and some of them feel like they know which way the financial market's going to go or not. I think in sports, it's the same thing. You have access now to much better information about these athletes, their bodies, and their performance. And there's still some coaches and coaching staff that believe that they know the best way because they've always done it a certain way. Um, it's shocking how much of that continues to persist. This might speak directly to my last question, but what are some of the challenges of bringing new technology to new leagues? And what has been your own experience in that regard, Josh? Yeah, I think that, um, you know, especially in North America and certainly global leagues are, are, are a little bit of, of this posture as well. When you look at the NBA, um, there's a kind of, in our in our little ecosystem, in our echo chamber, a lot of people who talk about innovation say that the NBA is the most innovative. Um, a lot of the research we've done shows that what the NBA is actually is the most experimental. Um, so if innovation means the willingness to experiment, then yes, the NBA is actually the most innovative. But there's a lot of debate about what innovation means. Um, so I don't think there is any one definition. I do think that when people look at what the NBA is willing to try in the G League and in, you know, some of their developmental academies and in some of their foreign leagues, it's really interesting to see that they are trying wearables, they're trying different, you know, player tracking technology, cameras and things like that. I think other leagues are looking to them to kind of set the pace and figure out what works and what doesn't. Right. And is it a question of risk as well? The possibility that the NBA developmental leagues have a scope to experiment that is beyond most leagues? Sport is, of course, a very results-driven business and setbacks in some leagues will not be taken lightly. I think that there's a growing awareness that these aren't sports organizations anymore, but they're media companies. And you asked me very specifically, is this concept of innovation really tied to risk tolerance? And I do think that if you view yourself as a media company, that the fan, the fluid fan, has all these options and choices at their fingertips, what would you do? 
how would you structure your business differently to make sure that you're innovating at the pace that makes sure that you've got a product that can compete with Fortnite, that can get their attention when they have options to watch anything they want on Amazon or Netflix. Um, I think risk becomes a lot more negligible um, when you start thinking in terms of your business in that way. Back to the conversation in a moment, but first a quick word about Conduct. Regardless of whether you're a coach just trying to track and train your athletes, or a performance director leading multiple staff and juggling a variety of data sources, Conduct's athlete intelligence and management systems will help you better understand your athletes to drive improved performance. Kinduck's broad range of tools allows you to consolidate various data sources, analyze the information for actionable insights, collaborate on programming across multiple departments or locations, and deliver that plan for a variety of athlete-facing engagement solutions. Find out what hundreds of elite sports organizations already know and let Kinduct help provide you with the right information, with the right tools, at the right time to help inform your decisions. For more information, check out Kinduct.com. And now... Back to the Conduct Athlete Management Series. After looking forward, let's look back over the past 10 or 15 years. How would you describe the growth of technology in sports and the changing landscape during that sort of time frame? Yeah, I think when you look at the proliferation of technology across sports, what people very quickly hone in on is wearable technology. And they think that the stuff like Fitbit and Jawbone and Garmin and Catapult and all the stuff they put on their bodies is actually sports technology. Um, at the Sports Innovation Lab, obviously, we're very focused on the proliferation of sports tech across the entire business. So it really does play into a bunch of different areas. When you look back over the last five to 10 years, there's media technology innovation. These are all the cameras and the computer science learning, machine learning that goes into creating automated highlights and production. There's stadium technology. This is all the technology that goes into that live venue to make the signs really cool and make the location offers you get when you walk through the gate or when you go through a concession stand or you sit in a luxury box. Um, and then there's obviously the whole area of um, sponsorship technology. And that's really how are you activating the different types of brands that want to be close to the sports fan. That used to just be you bought a sign and you were very happy with the idea that you know 80,000 people were seeing your brand on a given Sunday or Saturday. Now it's really about like, how are you turning that impression into a performance? How are they buying something? Um, and there's a lot of technology now that measures the attribution to those brands and those um, levels of campaigns and activation. And having reflected on that, Josh, what are some of the ways that the growth in the use of technology in sport has demonstrated a capacity to surprise you in your day-to-day -day work? Well, I think what's most surprising is the way that the format of media consumption is changing because that drives this entire industry. I mean, media rights have long been the way that, you know, these properties have, have had security for a number of years because they've been able to command so much money for their property and their television rights. This isn't changing overnight, but we really can't ignore things like TikTok and Overtime and Cameo and Huddle and all these distribution platforms of much shorter form content, um, which really says that that full length game broadcast 
is something that fans are going to consume in much smaller chunks. And when you start thinking about that, it has ramifications for the entire industry. And I don't think when you talk about being surprised, I don't, I'm surprised at how little people are really starting to accept that that's happening. They see it, they talk about it. It's like the topic of every conversation and conference I go to, but they're still like television is going to carry the day for as long as I'm in this job. So, you know, I'll let junior worry about this, you know? So there's a little bit of like, I, I don't want to tackle that beast yet, but man, is that coming. And I suppose that also speaks to the way, as we were discussing before, that the technology speaks to the end user. Without a doubt. And I mean, you can now produce a high school sports event here uh, in the U.S. with an automated camera. You can use, you know, Pixelot, Keymotion, PlaySight, one of these things where you just slap it on a tripod and that camera is smart enough to follow the action because it knows where the ball or the puck is. Um, that changes the way that you produce things. It changes, obviously, the amount of content you can create. Um, and, you know, there's all kinds of other really cool innovations in this space, too. You have helmet cams and you have sideline cams and you have pylon cams and all those different angles um, give you a very rich uh, portfolio of things you can stitch together to create a new way to watch a game. And if you consider the time that's passed since you co-founded the Sports Innovation Lab, Josh, what are some of the key lessons you've learned along the way? I've definitely learned that the industry doesn't want to talk about technology. They want to talk about business results. And so for as much as you'll hear buzzwords like cryptocurrency, you know, blockchain, 5G, all these buzzwords, um, what people have spent very little time is understanding the impact, the business of sports. They know these things are coming. They know that 5G means faster connectivity. They know that computer vision means that you're able to track players without wearables and sensors. They know that blockchain could be used, you know, in terms of memorabilia and authenticity of an asset. But they're not really sure now how, what that actually means to their business. Um, and I'm surprised that in 2019, with so much change and so much technology adoption in healthcare and finance and other adjacent industries, that sports has actually sat, sat on the sideline in a lot of these situations and hasn't been much more experimental with this technology up until this point. Talking about up until this point, the one final area I want to touch upon today, Josh, is the immediate future of the sports tech and data space. What do you predict for this space to hold over the next few years? I think the most exciting thing is the evolution of the live experience. Um, I think that when you look at the way that this industry is going to change, um, so much is built on that gate revenue and that sponsorship activation on game day. That live appointment television concept is still very much at the heart of the sports industry. So understanding how technology helps drive anticipation and excitement before the game, thinking about how technology brings the fans deeper into the action, turns them into content creators during the game, and how technology allows a brand and a sports property and a media company to continue the conversation with those fans after the game 
is really the biggest impact I think that you know technology is going to have. I don't think you're going to a venue anymore to put your butt in a hard plastic seat and watch a game. I think the way that you interact with that sport is going to be incredibly different based on the technology options you'll have in your hand and that'll be around you in the venue. So there's plenty to be excited about in pro sport and beyond in the immediate future. Uh, I, I love the industry we work in. I think that there's tremendous upside in, you know, the efficiencies we can gain from technology, but also the innovation we can uh, play with when you have such an incredibly passionate fan and consumer base. Um, they really believe they bleed the colors of their team. And when they have that close of an association with a product, um, you can do things that other you know product categories and industries can't do. Josh, that's probably a perfect place to wrap things up. Thank you so much for your time today. No worries, John. I appreciate it. 